are enjoying a good Mother's Day. So far, I haven't met anybody yet who made mom breakfast in bed. That old tradition seems to be going on. There we go. Anybody else? Any of you ladies get breakfast in bed today? Okay. All right. Both of you. Great. Yeah. So the rest of us losers didn't do that. But anyway, um, I'd like to ask you to consider something with us. This is a good problem. We're having growing pains. We're just growing at a rate in which it's hard to keep up with the amount of work that needs to be done, particularly in our children's ministries. We have over 200 children coming every Sunday, and that requires an enormous amount of teachers, workers, and in addition to that, there are so many people that are involved, and we're so grateful. We have um, ushers, we have greeters, we have um, AV musicians, we have parking attendants. When we get back in the new building, we'll have a cafe. So on Sunday mornings, there's just uh, a tremendous need for more people to be involved. The Bible says that we're all to be involved in the work of the ministry. The, the church is not just a, a buffet where you come and consume, but as a Christian, you're like, well, how can I serve? And we want to help you. But we are in real need of children's workers. Here's how great the need is. If we don't get some more help around July, we may have to cancel some classes in the summer because some of our workers are going to be away. So what we've asked is we have outside at the welcome desk a sign-up sheet where we would like to ask you, if you are kids safe and you're not teaching or you have the op or if you would consider doing this, we need a lot more helpers, people who are willing. Now, we're not going to just throw you in there and say, figure it out. We'll help you. But if you aren't kids safe, we'll continue to provide training. But we particularly need people who are kids safe. So be in prayer about that. But it's interesting because after the first service, I went out there and... Um, Bob said, yeah, the list for cafe workers like, was like a mile long. Like, yeah, I'll be the barista. <laughs> Everybody wants to be the barista, but we need like people to change diapers and people to change Sunday school materials and work with kids and just be a part of that. So be in prayer. That's a good problem, but we really do need some more help. And so we appreciate you thinking about if you really say, hey, that's just not my bag. There's, there's plenty of other things. So there's a whole sign-up sheet and Pastor Bob and Pastor John will be out there afterwards. So That'll be fun. I'd like you to join me as we pray today. Let's recognize that while Mother's Day is a celebration, it also can be um, a time of pain for some people for a variety of reasons. Some people have lost their mother recently. Other people, as much as we'd like to think everyone had a wonderful mother, some of you didn't have a good mother. Some, some of you may be in a very strained relationship with your mother, you know, and um, so thinking about mother is painful. Some of you um, are struggling with your kids, and so you're not feeling the love. You're like, it says here in Proverbs, my children are supposed to rise up and bless me. I'm not feeling it. So recognizing that there are all kinds of issues, let's take a moment, first of all, to thank God as you think back on your own mother, if you know her. Surely you can be thankful for her, even if she wasn't the ideal mother, um, there really are no June cleavers in real life. We're sinners and there are issues that we all have to deal with. But let's take a moment to pray for our country and for our church and particularly for families because this morning I'd like to talk about, uh, two, I want to do two messages on marriage and parenting because it's so significant in the life of the church. That's that Marriages and, and parenting are, are as, perhaps one of the top priorities that we as Christians have to have. So 
We want to look at God's word, but we want to spend some time in prayer. So join me as we pray. Father, we thank you for what you're doing at our church. It's really exciting to see the way that God is working through the Holy Spirit to bring about wonderful transformation. People are growing. People are getting saved. People are becoming strong disciples. But we also know, Father, that many are hurting and struggling. And if we're honest, inside the four walls of our home, things are not what we would like them to be at times. So, Father, we come in Jesus' name and we pray for those who are grieving um, pain as they think about their relationship with their mother or their children. I even think of those who want to be mothers, Lord, who are unable to have children and the, the sorrow that they experience. Lord, would, would you show yourself today to be the God of all comfort? But, Father, we also pray that you will guide us through the word today to help us to move forward in the gospel, to make significant changes, to be what you want us to be in the family, Lord. We're not responsible for how our family acts, but how we react and how we live our lives in Christ as we depend on the Holy Spirit and live our lives for you. Father, I pray now that you would bless our country and be with our leaders, Father, as they make big decisions that will affect the future of our country. We pray for the church in America that has grown lukewarm and has lost its way father i pray that our church will as we hear the word that we will see the blueprint in scripture and not be conformed to this world father thank you for our time together and for the word of god in jesus name amen so we finished the gospel of john and this morning i want to think about family for a few moments recognizing that in some ways family is the great schoolhouse to learn much of what we need to learn about life. But if we're honest, we recognize, wow, Satan loves to attack our family. And when you think about, think about all the issues that are potential problems within family, marriage problems, parent-child problems, problems between siblings, problems with in-laws, broken homes, and if you step back and you go, all right, well, what's causing all the damage and the commotion and all the problems? We know from the Bible it's because of sin. It's because each of us is infected with original sin from Adam. And so think about some of the things that mess up families, like selfishness. It's really interesting because we're in an affluent culture. And cultures that are affluent and comfortable, that can have a really corrosive effect on the marriage for this reason. Somebody wrote this. The great danger for family life in the midst of any society whose idols are pleasure, comfort, and independence lies in the fact that people close their hearts and become selfish because they're like, wow, we could get more. I could do more. It's about me. But it's not just selfishness. There's pride. Think about how pride has so hurt marriages even in Christianity and parent-child relationship. Think about anger. Think about how anger has influenced your shaping influences. Maybe you grew up in a home where there was a lot of anger, a lot of hostility. Or maybe you never learned how to process anger, so either you were one of those people who just kept it all in only to grow bitter, or you were one of those people who just learned how to explode and just take your filter off and say whatever you wanted. And 
the, the problems that have come out of that, then, then we all grow up with our insecurities. And so we're tempted in family structures to live lives of lie and deceit. Children often learn the rules of sort of this double life that we can live in front of others and then in private. And then think about the fact that there's laziness. So many times people are just lazy in their marriage. They're indifferent. It's a lot of work. Marriage is difficult, and so it's just easy to sort of let that go astray. And then there's fear. People have been hurt, and hurt people hurt people. And so it was Tim Keller who once said, the perfect relationship is, is, is at this level. He said, some people in their marriage, they're loved, but they're not known. In other words, for fear of disclosing who I really am, I don't want my spouse to know my deepest weaknesses and insecurities so they might reject me. So I just live sort of a shallow life trying to pretend that I just have it together because I don't want them to know me. Because of the next level, which he said, our greatest fear is to let ourselves be known to our spouse and then be rejected. When we tell them of our struggles and then they, they reject us. But the reality is, he said, that the great level of a, of a deep marriage is when we really get to know each other and we still love each other, and we still accept each other. And so, as you think about fear and how that affects our marriages, as well as some of the more painful things like infidelity, sexual sin, incest, and shame, these things happen in churches, in Christian homes. We're not immune to them. And so, in society right now, six out of 10 girls in America have been abused in some way, and that's going to affect the family, that's going to affect parenting, that's going to affect husband and wife's relationships. And then there's greed. There's so many um, things that have brought us to where we are. Poor communication. Many of you have not come. My wife and I did not grow up in a Christian home, so much of what Ted Tripp calls our shaping influences, we enter into our marriage and we're like, well, this is, this is how my family handled it, and, and we don't even sometimes realize how abnormal our normal is. And so thank God that he's given us the Bible. It's not just a, a manual for life, but it's, it's medicine. It's healing. It's this book of promises and principles and commandments that can help us to realize that while marriage can be a great painful thing to endure and that family can bring us pain, it's also something that can be our greatest joy to be able to sit around the table and say, wow, ch these children are a gift from the Lord. Or to have a wife, the book of Proverbs says, an excellent wife who can find her wife, her worth is far above jewels. He that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And so I don't want us to give up on this ideal to say, hey, God wants you to have a blessed, spirit-filled, Christ-centered marriage where you're raising children in an honest and thriving family. Now, the reality is you can't ultimately have control over all of that. God's not asking you to be your spouse or to be your children, but each one of us, as we think about marriage and family, have to be reminded and encouraged and challenged from the Word of God to say, Christianity has a lot to say about our family and our home. In fact, as we develop disciples who are making disciples, we talk a lot about leadership. And I would encourage you men to consider that God may be 
touching some of your hearts to become elders. To become an elder is a very worthy thing. It's, 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 it doesn't make you a better Christian. And if you don't want to become an elder, there's nothing wrong with you. But 1 Timothy 3.1 says this, if any man desires to be an elder, it's a fine work he desires. And so be in prayer that God would raise up more elders in our church. But then it gives you the qualities to aspire to, to say, hey, if I'm going to be an elder as a man of God in a local church, I know I have a lot of things to work on, but one of them is this. 1 Timothy 3 says, an elder must be one who manages his household well, having his children under control with all dignity. And most of us are going, oh, okay, I'll take a pass on that. Because that's challenging. What does it look like to, to manage your household well? So I want you to consider that oftentimes our families have developed problems that took years in the making. And if you were to be honest right now, those of you who are married, if you were to, to really try to assess the condition of your marriage, I want you to think deeply in your soul, how's your marriage? And what might be some of the reasons for the answer to that? If you say, actually, we're doing pretty well, praise God. Well, thank the Lord and consider his grace at work in your life. And how are the scriptures affecting your marriage, and how is the Holy Spirit and your commitment to the Word of God and prayer having an influence in your marriage? And, and as you experience that healing and that growth, I've been married 35 years, and I'm so thankful for my wife, and we have an outstanding marriage, but a difficult marriage. I don't think those two have to be mutually exclusive. We have to work extra hard. I don't know, maybe we didn't get the Waltons gene, where they're all like, just good night, John boy, love you, Mary Ellen. But by the grace of God, we both find great fulfillment and joy in our marriage, and we know it's a work of grace. And we know it's because of the prayers and influence and help of others and the work of the Holy Spirit. But I want to encourage you, as we begin to do these two messages on marriage and family, it's not just something new, a new Hebrew word about marriage. But the Apostle Paul said, to write the same things to you is safe. Peter said, I know you already know these things, but I want to stir you up by way of reminder. And so some of you, your marriage is in bad shape. Some of you, we know about that because you've, you've sought out help. Some of you haven't told anybody because you're fearful that, as one young couple said to me, everyone else looks so happy in their marriage. I'm like, don't believe that. So regardless of where you are, if, if you're maturing and growing, thinking about how you're growing, then think about how you can invest in others. We're all in relationships of being mentored and mentoring. So in 1 um, Timothy, or I'm sorry, Titus chapter 2, it says older women are to train younger women how to love their husbands and how to love their children. So for some of you, God may in the course of these two messages bring to the surface some areas where you're like, we really need to work on this or we really need to get some help on this or we've never really addressed this, and I'm praying that through the word of God, some of these strongholds and walls that might be up will begin to come down. As I've said, we don't get that way overnight, and you usually don't get fixed overnight, but change can begin in one night. Change in our marriages, in our relationships, begins when we're repentant, and when we're surrendered to the Lord, and when we're listening to the word of God, and letting the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ speak into our lives. So I want to begin by reminding you, and Josh, if you'll put up this slide, 
that discipleship is a church and family effort. You see, discipleship and marriage and family are not these two drastically separate scenarios, but there's, there's a synergy of working together. So on the one hand, we're part of a, a large family. We're God's forever family. But within that, we're individual families. And so I want to talk about marriage, and I want to talk about parenting. And I want to be the first one to say is, I'm not the guru on either one. Many times, young people, because of my role here at Cairn, would come to me to talk about sex and things like that. And Tammy used to say to me, what are you, the Dr. Ruth on that? I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm just trying to point out and, and, and encourage all of us to look at the word of God and to grow in grace. Malachi chapter 2 says the lips of a priest should speak knowledge and men should seek instruction from his mouth for he's a messenger of the Lord of hosts. And, and God said of, of Levi, he said, he walked with me in righteousness and he turned many back from iniquity. And so as I share from the word of God, I want you to pray for me and my marriage. Those of you that know um, our story and our children, there were some significant struggles, but God has been very gracious. And so I speak as a fellow struggler with you, but asking prayer that as churches and individuals, that God would bring revival and strong family units and growing Christian kids. It is a tremendous challenge. And so part of what I want to do is put resources in your hands. I can't in just a brief sermon Say, okay, we got that all solved. But I want to begin to stimulate you to say, hey, maybe we need to get some counseling. Maybe I need to read this book. Maybe I need to take a long look in the mirror and change my priorities. Hey, this is going to affect my golf score. Yeah, because your family is so important. So let me just begin by reviewing some things I shared back in 2014 about this synergy. And, and, and that's, first of all, that remember... God's original design for humanity is we were all one family. When he first created Adam and Eve, his intentions were that every family in heaven and earth would come from God. We would all be one big happy family. But the fact is that Adam and Eve sinned. And so our next slide will remind us that God's plan included these individual families to make up his big family. So in verse 24, he says, A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So God, in his sovereign purposes, when he created this earth and mankind on planet earth with a real, literal Adam, brought them together and said, this is how it's going to be. A man shall be joined to his wife. We're living in a culture right now where people are constantly trying to redefine that. In fact, I read a really interesting quote yesterday. This couple said this, we've chosen to have children before marriage because we decided to do it the non-traditional way. Now, doesn't that sound safe? Doesn't that sound okay? There's no such thing as having children before marriage the non-traditional way. God calls that sin. God calls that fornication. Imagine someone saying, I've decided that I'm not going to just sleep with my wife the traditional way, but I'll have other girlfriends. God calls that sin. He calls that adultery. So we recognize that it was God's design within this world of his family to have individual families, but the whole mess began with original sin. And so we know this from the Bible, that God's family was separated from him due to sin. And when he drove Adam and Eve out of the garden, Adam and Eve inherited two big problems of which we still bear the conditions of their original sin. Number one, we inherited condemnation. 
You don't have to do anything to go to hell. Just be born, live, die, and you're going to go to hell because Adam and Eve brought sin into this world. But not only have we inherited their condemnation, we've inherited their corruption. We have within us the virus. We're all actively corrupt. We have a sinful nature. Now, yours might not go the same direction as mine. Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. But how can we expect if people are separated from God due to sin that that's not going to affect our marriage? So when I do premarital counseling, I use a book called Before You Say I Do. But my brother, when he does premarital counseling, he uses a book called When Sinners Say I Do. And I go, well, maybe he's got a better idea there. Because that's a reality. Sin is what's affecting our family structure. So as we continue to think that through, we recognize, go ahead, Josh, to the next slide. God's plan involves redeeming and creating a family with whom he'll dwell forever. Now, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, but think about this. It's no longer biblical or safe or correct or truth to say this. Everyone in the world is part of God's family. This is not true. This whole world is no longer God's family. Most of this world is in rebellion against God, hostile to God, separated from God, Burger Kinging it their way. They could be very religious, but if they're not born again, they're not in God's family. A lot of people are offended by that. What do you think? Who do you think you are? Don't shoot the messenger. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible is very exclusive who's part of God's family. Only those who receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. As many, stay back on John 12 for a moment. As many as received him, to them he gives the right to be children of God. So right now, consider that on this planet of 7 billion people, there's a small group of people who have become believers. You say, how do you know it's small? Because Jesus said, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many are those that find it. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Few are those who find it. God's family on planet Earth will always be the minority. And because they're the minority, they will often be rejected by the majority. And so John's going to tell us, Josh, can you go on to 1 John 3? I think that's going to come up. Yeah, it says, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we're called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world doesn't know us because it didn't know him. Now think about this. Some of you, you found it quite odd that when you became a Christian, your personal household was not happy about that. Your parents or your siblings, for some of you, are like, what happened? Some of you are in a great minority among your blood family as far as what it means to be a child of God. And this is why. Because the world doesn't know God. Because they don't know God. They don't understand the heart change that born-again Christians have experienced it. And they can't understand it. And so they think it odd that you want to study the Bible, that you want to do things God's way, that you want to be around other Christians. But the reality is this is what God's doing on planet Earth. He's calling out his family, and he brings them together into individual units, local churches. So here we are. As you've been told, you can't pick your family. You can't pick your Christian family. Here we are as Christians, brothers and sisters, part of God's family, coming together, and we look around, and we go, there's a lot of... A lot of different people here. I read an interesting thing in Reader's Digest this week. This man went up to this clerk in the grocery store 
And he said, I can't find the nuts anywhere. Where are you hiding the nuts? And the clerk looked around and said, we're not hiding them anywhere. They're all over the place. <laughs> and the same thing's true here at church. We've got issues. We're broken people. We're not all going to be nice and friendly. We're going to hurt each other. We're going to misunderstand one another. We're going to have times where we're going to fray one another's nerves. And we're going to have friction. That's biblical. And how we're called to deal with that and to learn how to love, to learn how to be patient, is a beautiful design from God through the Spirit as we pray. We diligently keep unity of the Spirit. But knowing that, if God's plan is to redeem his family, I want to move down and talk about the local church and how the local church, Joseph, if you go way down to the slide that says God's local church family and individual families are both to make disciples. So that's going to be down further. The, the local, or God's local church family and individual families are both to make disciples. So here we are. I, I stop and I look around and some of you are going, I don't talk to my mom. Or, man, if, my, if, if Dobson had my kid, his book would have another chapter. <clears throat> and, man, how did I end up in this mess with this spouse? Boy, I hope so-and-so's listening. Some of you are in a situation where your spouse is not a believer. Some of you are more spiritually mature than your spouse. Some of you are struggling with fear, anxiety, depression. Some of you bring so much baggage from your past. And here we are in these individual families. And so we're going to do two sermons on marriage and parenting. And I doubt that I'm going to say anything that's revolutionary that no one else ever saw. In fact, I'm not going to share with you the secret to a wonderful marriage because if it's a secret, it's not biblical. And if it's biblical, it's not a secret. And God doesn't promise us that we're going to have wonderful marriages. And he doesn't promise us that we're going to have wonderful kids. But what we do want to understand is that his design is that he wants to use families and churches to make disciples. So I want to start by thinking about how your marriage and your family has an influence on making disciples. I want to go back to Genesis 19 to begin. When God first called Abraham out from among the world, now Abraham didn't come from a Christian home. The Bible says Abraham's father was an idolater. So God in his grace and glory called Abraham to himself. He appears to Abraham. He overwhelms Abraham by introducing himself to Abraham. And Abraham becomes a believer who responds by faith. And as a forgiven follower, God gives him these wonderful promises that he would make from him a great nation and that one of his seed would be a blessing to all the nations, the Messiah. But as time went on, God made a passing comment about Abraham that I thought was really profound. This is actually within the context of the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. As God was talking to Abraham and the angels that were with him, he said, I'm not going to discuss or hold back from Abraham what I'm going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah, and here's why. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. It's a wonderful thought to think that Abraham was elect and chosen of God. Guess what? So are you. Every believer, the Bible says, we are chosen by God and dearly beloved. 
And every believer who's in a marriage relationship, who has children, has been designed by God to, to lead our children and our household to keep the way of the Lord. Now, did Abraham do it perfectly? Heavens no. Abraham had numerous failures in his life. But yet the grace of God actively worked on him and he learned to walk with God by faith and to do righteousness and justice. And over the years, as Abraham developed, he became a model, a father to us, and an example. But I want to, again, as you think about the role of the family, I want to look at a verse in Malachi chapter 2 for a moment. As God was rebuking the men of Malachi's generation for bailing on their marriages for unbiblical reasons, that's the passage where God said, I hate divorce. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't times where divorce is a necessary allowance in Scripture. But nevertheless, it's not God's ideal. And here he tells us why. Because he says, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? That's a very difficult passage to translate from the Hebrew. But notice that both the ESV and NIV translate it this way. What was God seeking? Godly offspring. Godly offspring. So there you might say, well then he's probably going to tell us how to do that. He's going to give us seven principles for raising godly offspring. But notice what he says here. He doesn't say, since God's goal is godly offspring, work on your parenting. He says, since God's goal is godly offspring, guard yourself and your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. And so what God's saying here to us is, listen, godly offspring are a byproduct that starts with your marriage. Now, I don't want some of you to check out and go, hey, man, I'm already past that. I'm not going to be married. I don't want to be married. I don't need to hear this. We all need to hear this, and we all need to understand that as a church family, we're, we're around family units, and some of you who are single, some of you would like to have family, but you're estranged from your family. Some of you don't have parents. Some of you don't have, you live alone, and you don't like that, and I understand that. Some of you live alone, and you like that, and I understand that as well. But remember this, you're never alone as a Christian. If you are a believer and you're here this morning, you're part of God's family, and you're part of our family. Did somebody say amen to that, or am I you going to just leave me hanging? Now, we do appreciate if you call first, but you're part of our family. But having said that, many of you are married or will be married or were married. And I want to talk over the course of the next two messages, this one and next one, about marriage. So I'd like to urge you to consider, as we begin this morning, that marriage starts with attitudes that solid Christian families require spirit-led attitudes. I have to understand what the scriptures teach about marriage. God's goal in my marriage is not my happiness. Some people have said to me on more than one occasion, I don't think God wants you to be married because I'm not happy. And I go, remind me which verse says that. God uses marriage in our lives to develop us in holiness and to learn how to change our attitudes, to not be... What am I getting out of my marriage? And how can my spouse make me happy? But I can learn to have some attitude changes. So I want you to think about some of the changes that the Holy Spirit may be wanting to make in your marriage. 
For some of you, God wants to change your marriage from a marriage of anger to a marriage of forgiveness. That's not going to happen just by some word from the pastor. That's going to happen as you repent and you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. And you ask God to give you biblical wisdom. James 1.5 says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. But James chapter 3 describes biblical wisdom. This is what it says. The wisdom from above is pure and peaceable and reasonable and gentle and full of mercy and good fruits. Does that describe your marriage? That's what God wants to do. He wants to move us beyond our anger to forgiveness and wisdom from above. For some, he wants to move us from pride to humility. I was talking to somebody recently who said that their father was never wrong. I remember as, as my children were younger, I wanted to do sort of a self-inventory. This is kind of scary, but dads, maybe you'll try this sometime. I said to my kids and my wife, I want to read the qualifications of a pastor here and an elder, and I want you to just kind of give me honest feedback. And so we were reading along. He must be a husband of one wife, must not be selfish. Then it says, um, <coughs> he must not um, be self-willed. And my son probably was like eight or nine. He goes, what's that mean? And um, I said, well, it's kind of like you always have to have it your way and you're never wrong. And Jordan goes, um, Dad, I think you need to work on that. I'm like, stop that. That's not true. Right? So for some of you, it's just pride. You're like, I don't need, yeah, my old lady, she's whining, or oh, my husband, he's complaining. God hates pride, and pride will forbid and keep you from God's blessing. The Bible says God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And for some of us, we need to just get on our knees. Repentance is part of the Christian faith. Instead of acting like we have it all together, if you've made a mess in your marriage, get on your knees and ask God to change your heart. He's gracious. A broken and contrite heart he won't despise. For some of you, it's going to involve an attitude change from selfishness to being a servant. I get it, especially guys. You, 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 you pull in the driveway. You're tired from a long day at work. And, and you're looking forward to just coming in and sitting down and having your tea and catching up on the sports. But, but you and I need to understand that that's not a biblical mindset. Fathers are called to be servants. And so we've all had that experience when our kids meet us at the door and they say, we need to go to the drugstore because I need poster paper and I need it now. And we want to say, hey, lack of planning on your part is not an emergency on my part. Some of you are like, I had to repeat third grade because my dad wouldn't let me get the poster board. And it's like, well, you had three months to ask him. But, but think about the areas where men, my dad grew up in a generation where they bragged about not changing diapers. That was a badge of honor. I think that's a shame. And I think that, that, that God is calling us all to consider, what are the areas that I'm being selfish? What are the areas where I need to learn how to be a servant? I think for some, the attitude change has to involve the pursuit of other things rather than prioritizing your family. Sometimes we praise a man, we go, look at that guy. He works 60 hours a week. He loves his family so much. Look at how he's making sacrifices to better his family. 
But when you poke around, not everyone that works 60 hours a week has their priorities in order. There's nothing wrong with working 60 hours a week. But sometimes we need to step back and say, why? I know of some men who stay at the office because they don't want to be home, because they don't want to deal with the drama and the stress and how somehow we can sneak that in under the, the virtue of being such a hard worker. And so I want to encourage you to consider that the family and your marriage needs to be a top priority. And that takes work. That means there's some times where you have to rearrange your priorities. Another thing, an attitude change that I've seen is, is the necessity of dealing with issues honestly. Learning to open up. Learning to speak the truth in love. Learning not to let everything become swept under the rug or an explosive conflict. Learning to go from shouting to speaking gently. Learning how to listen. So many times when, when, as a Christian, when our spouse challenges us with something, it's so easy to just put up a smoke screen to try to deflect or try to, try to point out the areas that they need to work on as opposed to saying, let me listen to my spouse. How often you'll hear men say, gee, I don't understand women. And you're like, that's right. And 1 Peter 3, 7 says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way because she's a fellow heir of the grace of life. And so sometimes just trying to get to know our spouse, to take the time to open up and listen and communicate and share what's going on. Changing from shutting down to facing difficult situations. I'd like to suggest that perhaps one of the greatest issues is a prayerlessness. I want to challenge you to really ask yourself, how much do you pray about your marriage and for your children. Some of you might not know how. You're like, I don't even know what to pray for. And God knows your heart, and the Holy Spirit's in prayer for us. But the Bible gives us biblical principles as to what to pray for and how to pray. And so as we wind down this morning, I thought it would be helpful if we take a few moments to just think about the necessity of prayer and change and working on our marriage and working on our relationships. I want you to consider a prayer something like this. Dear God, I promised you on my wedding day that I would love my spouse until death do us part. God, I know I promised you that. I promised you that I would love them in sickness and in health and good times and bad. And God, I know that you'll never ask me to do what you won't enable me to do. You said in the Bible, God, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I'm having a hard time loving my spouse. But God, today I want to thank you for my spouse. And I want to renew my commitment to love them well. Forgive me for the ways that I have not kept my vows. Forgive me if I've grown bitter. Forgive me if I've strayed. Grant me the grace to be the spouse that you want me to be. And may our marriage bring glory and praise and honor to you in Jesus' name. Certainly, a prayer like that isn't suddenly going to give you a wonderful super marriage. 
but it's the beginning of walking in the gospel, walking in a place of healing. So I'd like to invite you as we close, regardless if you've been married six days or 60 years, some of you, your marriage has ended and now you're trying to recover and, and, and you're struggling. Let's close in prayer, asking God to work deeply, to get involved in mentoring relationships, counseling, reading books, seminars, grief share, things like that that can bring tremendous hope but please don't walk out of here in silent shame or conviction of sin and stubbornness saying it's too late or this isn't for me. I want to invite you to respond to the Holy Spirit as he speaks to your heart and ask the Lord to help you to surrender and to commit yourself to praying and working on your marriage and your relationship with your kids. Let's pray together. Take a moment just to Thank God for your spouse if you have one. If you don't have one, pray that God will guide you if and when he wants you to find one. If you've lost your spouse, thank God for them. If you have bitterness towards your spouse, would you ask the Lord to forgive you for that sin Forgive your spouse, not because they deserve it, not because they earned it, but the Bible says forgive because God has forgiven us. If you strayed in your heart from your spouse, ask God's forgiveness. Maybe the Lord is showing you that you need to change in priorities or in finances or in communication. On this Mother's Day, may God give you grace. Father, thank you for all of the, the families in this church. And Lord, we're all in a different place, but we're all on that journey of being disciples and making disciples. So I pray, Father, that you will bring great healing, great hope, and great wisdom upon us as families and parents working together in this church. We thank you for all of our children's workers, especially for Janet and Kim and the tireless efforts and all of our volunteers who are spending time with our kids. Father, I pray that you will turn the hearts of our children away from the things of this world and incline them towards scripture. And forgive us for the times that we have been a poor example to them. Give us grace as we think about a philosophy of parenting with correction and teaching and training. And Lord, may we build each other up. May we talk about these things. May we not just assume that we all have it all together. Thank you for this church and the way that this church has blessed my family, prayed for my family, put up with me and my family. May we continue to grow together into Christ-centered, godly families who are following the scriptures and led by the Holy Spirit. We give you all the glory and we look forward to fantastic works of the Holy Spirit in the days to come. We pray in Jesus' name.